Greetings! Bluebell McDoobie here, creator, producer, and host of Rolling for Recipes. I want to thank you so much for joining me. I will admit I am a little nervous today. I'm recording my very first actual episode. I'll actually talk about cooking, cookbooks, recipes, etc. So, pretty exciting day. Instead of feeling tons of fear today when I came into my very fancy recording studio, aka my bedroom, I actually felt excited. I, I, I do. I feel, I feel excited and I feel ready to put some content out there for you that actually has to do with the whole Rolling for Recipes idea. So thank you for listening to my trailer and my initial bonus introductory episode that I recorded on April Fool's Day of all days, or uploaded rather. Those two episodes basically got my feet wet, and I think I'm ready to actually talk. So without further ado, here we go. We are going to be talking today about the previous week's cookbook of the week. I think that's going to be the um, oh, here I go saying, um, sorry. <laughs> uh, I think that's going to be the process where I talk about what we made last week and then I'll introduce the next week because we'll have rolled for the book. If that sounds confusing, I'll change it. But read the book, talk about the book, decide what we're going to cook, gather the right ingredients, and each of us get into the kitchen typically with me being the one on Saturday. I don't know what it is about Saturday, but that's often the day I feel like cooking. So the podcast will be reflecting what we have just done the previous week. And then plus, because of timing, I'll be able to share what cookbook we had rolled for on Sunday. New episodes drop every Friday. That's my goal. And that's what I plan to keep doing. So make sure to check in every Friday to see if I kept my promise. All right, so the book, book of the week that we're going to be talking about was Food and Wine's Best of the Best, Volume 4. This book was released in 2001, so like a lot of our books, it's a little older. It's a compilation book. Um, what that means is Food and Wine magazine would select the 100 best cookbooks, in their opinion, of course, of the year, and then they extract a handful from each of those books to highlight in this compilation book. Whenever we roll for a compilation book, everyone is quite relieved because it's just ridiculously easy to find something to make out of the compilation books. You've literally got dozens, if not a hundred or recipes or more just waiting there that are all been already vetted by the experts at Food and Wine Magazine. So how much easier could that be, right? Well, the recipes that we chose from this particular compilation book, and we own several of those volumes. Big Papa started out by making cheese coins from the La Brea, uh, pastries from La Brea Bakery. That's an amazing cookbook. I probably am going to keep my eyes open for it now. Nancy Silverton, famous baker, uh, owned that bakery, La Brea Bakery with her husband. Can't think of his name at the moment, who's passed away. She also has another book called Nancy Silverton's Breads from La Brea Bakery, which I own. So he made the cheese coins and they were absolutely delicious. 
unlike other homemade cheese crackers that we've made in the past, these have a much more flaky texture, very pastry-like. And the secret to that was very cold butter and Big Papa McDoobie used in these cheese coins. He used Gouda, a really good one. Can't think of the actual brand. Pecorino Romano and Kerrygold Cheddar. They're not super expensive cheeses. The upper end cheese definitely produces a better product. The recipe, oh my gosh, not kidding. This recipe, the quantity that it made was absolutely ridiculous. He had to, during this process, had to switch to a larger bowl. It was four and a half cups of flour, three sticks of butter, all of that cheese. It ended up making three, I would say they were a foot long by a good four or five inches thick logs that two of which he wrapped very tightly in wrap and uh, double bagged it in a zipper bag and put those two in the freezer. And then we sliced and baked and ate the rest of these really good crackers. So those were highly recommended. Next up was Junior McDoobie. He chose to make a recipe from the Dessert Bible, which was one of the books included in this compilation book. Uh, the Dessert Bible was written by Christopher Kimball, and the uh, intro to the recipe was pretty cute. Instead of calling them snickerdoodles, the chef calls them snip doodles. And I just want to read to you this little intro to the recipe. It says, according to James Beard, snickerdoodles were called by many different names, depending on the region of the country where the recipe was found. Along the Hudson River Valley, they were called schneckendoodles. Yet snipdoodles or snickerdoodles were also common names. I am partial to the name snipdoodles as well as to this recipe. I add a bit of nutmeg to the batter, which adds a gentle perfume to what is a very simple cookie. I tested them with Crisco instead of milk, and the cookies were flatter, more spread out, and a bit crispier. I prefer a more delicate, softer snipdoodle, and therefore use the milk. The texture of these cookies is heavenly, light but with a nice chew. They bake up nice and thick almost like a macaroon that almost rhymes. So that was a quote from the book by the author, Christopher Kimball. And we have to agree that the texture of the cookies was fabulous. These cookies, oh my gosh. So not only were they the traditional cinnamon sugar tasting, sweet memory type of a cookie, at least for me anyways, brought back a lot of childhood memories, that kind of a cookie, very old fashioned, but it, the texture was very cake-like. And the secret to those was to make sure that you don't overbake them. Uh, my son was very adamant about uh, what what time uh, I baked the or the amount of time I spent uh, with those cookies in the oven. It was a very awkward way of saying that. But anyway, I wanted to bring my friend some of the fresh baked cookies because she had mentioned that they looked really good. So I got up in the morning and I baked a few for her. And my son said specifically, make sure that you bake them at 350 for eight minutes and then turn the tray around and cook them for six. And that worked out to be the perfect amount of cooking time for them after they cooled off. So great cookie, really excellent cookie. I think next time I would probably double the recipe and freeze half although they are super easy to put together. Okay, next up was me. I chose what really, it was like a, it's the first time I've done this actually. I looked at the front of that Best of the Best cookbook and I didn't realize that they list like the prettiest cookbook of the year. I guess they probably didn't use pretty. You know what I mean? Aesthetically pleasing. They talk about, you know, best dessert, etc. So I just scanned this list and found what they call just flat out the best recipe of the year. 
and it was a recipe from Rick Bayless. He's a well-renowned, is that even a word? He's a renowned chef and cookbook author who specializes in Mexican cuisine, which is one of the most fabulous cuisines on the planet, without a doubt, and so misunderstood by many. So this soup was caught my attention because I'm an on-again, off-again vegetarian. I haven't been keeping up with that too well lately because the men folk are definitely carnivores. But I, I was my eye, it caught my eye, even though the soup's not strictly vegetarian, it said mushroom studded tortilla soup with goat cheese. And I was like, wow, that sounds really interesting. And so I put that soup together uh, Saturday last week and it, it turned it into a couple day process. Mostly because honestly, I I had a, a bit of a exhausted kind of sicky feeling after I got my booster shot on Sunday, which one of when I was planning on serving the soup. So we waited, no big deal, made the broth ahead of time. And the instructions called for uh, a quantity of, of either homemade chicken broth or boxed. Well, I, I really love to make broth and I had some in the freezer. So I used three quarters of my own broth and then supplemented that with just two cups of a organic, low sodium, what I hoped was okay quality boxed version of chicken broth in it. And it was super straightforward. Nothing hard about it at all. It's just a simple broth with onions and garlic, a small amount of tomato. And, and then, but it was, what was really interesting was the way that he said to serve it. And that was, you put a quantity of the goat cheese, he didn't say how much in each serving, just a quantity. So I guess that would be something that the diner could totally modify to their own taste. So I just did my best guess, but I think it was probably a tablespoon of the goat cheese. And then some cubed avocado, which makes sense. And a few strips of chipotle peppers. I've eaten chipotle peppers a bazillion times. They're delicious, sometimes spicy, not some, sometimes not so spicy. And in this recipe, Rick Bayless has you cut them open and scrape the seeds out. Oh, it was messy, but the sauce smelled really good. So I didn't really mind too much. And I was happy to scrape out the seeds because although I love the idea of spicy food, I wish I could eat more of it. My old lady's stomach can't handle that stuff. So... I was happy to scrape the seeds out because in case you don't know, that does make a chili pepper less spicy. So, so you put a few strips of the chipotle in, in the bowl, and then you are supposed to sprinkle it with a good sized ham serving of watercress. Well, when we went to the store to pick up what I needed for that recipe, I didn't find watercress. So I bought a mixture of arugula and spinach, which the internet told me works just perfectly fine for substituting with watercress. There you go. And of course, because I'm probably a little nervous talking right now and recording my first episode, I forgot to mention that, of course, the soup did have some shiitake mushrooms in it. It is called mushroom studded. For God's sake, how could I have forgotten that part? Brought the broth back up to heat with its mushrooms in it, adjusted the seasoning, and it tasted so spicy to me, which was totally ridiculous. The broth had no spice in it. It was literally garlic, onions a little vegetable oil, some tomato, and some salt. So I was like, what the heck is going on with this broth? I deduced that either I was having some kind of weird taste bud malady of some kind, or the broth that I had made somehow had some 
chili pepper scraps in it. I'll have a whole nother episode where I talk about making broth because it's freaking fun and a great way to use up your what we call going south vegetables out of your fridge before you throw them away. So it very easily could have had some kind of pepper in it. So I was like, oh my gosh, what have I done? I've made the soup that only Big Papa can eat. But I went ahead and forged on. And so the next step is just ladle some of the broth over those items that you put in the bowl. And then you top it with some crunchy tortilla strips, which I, of course, made. Because that's what the recipe said to do. I got some corn tortillas and sliced them up and put them in the oven. The funny thing about the tortillas was the instructions said, take six corn tortillas, cut them in half, turn sideways, cut into quarter inch strips, spread out on a baking sheet in a single layer. A, I don't have a baking sheet that big. And even if I did, it wouldn't fit in my oven. So they were definitely not in a single layer. What are you going to do? Then it said to, after you put the strips on the cookie sheet, it said to brush or spray them with oil. And I was like, that's a pain. So I just brushed the tortillas while they were still whole with the oil. Doesn't that make some more sense? And that's, that's the kind of stuff that I love to point out in recipes. You know, it's really important to read it. And as your confidence grows, if you're a new cook or a newer cook, I should say, you'll learn to read and say, you know what, there's a better way of doing that. If I'm going to blend this soup up anyway, why do I need to dice the onion? See what I'm saying? There's ways to save yourself some steps and some time with cooking because we I know that most, if not all of you are short on time. So more than ever, I really appreciate you listening to me. So, sorry. Back to the story. So I put this soup together. I give it to Big Papa McDoobie and he immediately proclaims it's absolutely delicious and not spicy. And I tasted my soup again. I tasted the soup that I made for myself because I was going to try it, dang it, even though I was afraid it was too spicy. And it wasn't. I, I don't know what happened. I posted a goofy Instagram story about this. People are probably wondering what the heck I'm talking about if I don't even know what stuff tastes like. But after I put the toppings into the soup, the rest of the ingredients I already explained. The coat, the goat cheese melted into the broth and it it worked in a very unique, interesting way, especially, and I think it would not have been as good if it didn't have the arugula because it has a little bit of a peppery. So it's definitely something I'm going to make again. And I think I'm going to try making it with either a very benign homemade vegetable broth or homemade chicken broth and see if it's even better. And I probably would cut back on the tomato a bit because uh, Junior McDoobie can't handle a lot of tomato. But you know, that's the beautiful thing about cooking your own stuff at home, right? You can adjust it to suit yourself. So all in all, the food and wine, best of the best, best of the best, volume four, is a highly recommended book, as are all of these compilation books. Food and wine, best of the best, series is a great series to seek out if you're starting or adding to your own book collection. It's just so much more valuable than a typical cookbook because you won't be very limited. I have some other really um, larger volumes that are compilation cookbooks that I'll recommend in later episodes that encompass just, you know, how to fry an egg, all that kind of thing. But if you're a little bit more experienced with cooking, you don't, obviously you don't always need to refer to those types of books, but I do highly recommend these food and wine, best of the best cookbooks. So that's my segment on what we cooked last week. And I wanted to say that if any of you want to play along, I would love it. You could check out your library to see if the book of the week's available, or you might want to get yourself a copy. I recommend the Libby app. For the library, you can get audiobooks and ebooks 
for free if they're available. Now, I, I just thought of this just now, so I haven't done any due diligence to see if the books I'm talking about are available, but I think I'll add that going forward. I'll check ahead of time after we roll for the book of the week and see if the book's available. And hopefully a couple people will manage to to get get a copy somehow and follow along. That would be really fun. You could email me at lubell at rollingherrecipes.com and you could let me know what you made. And I hope that this turns into something where quite a few people participate along with the McDoobie clan and cook some yummy new things for their for themselves and for their families. I just have to say that this this kind of reminds me of Wayne's world. You know, sitting in my bedroom. They were sitting in their basement. It's kind of like Lou's world. Excellent. I don't know if that's going to be copyright infringement. Well, so that was last week's adventures. And this week on Sunday, this past Sunday, the day that you that this episode I'm recording right now will be released is Friday, April 8th. So we rolled for the book of the week last Sunday, which was April 2nd. And the book that so that's the book that we're all reading right now and looking at and exploring. And um, it was my turn to roll. And I rolled that D20, my 20-sided die, and I landed on Section four, book two, and that was Chef Paul Prudhomme's Louisiana Taste, his book that was released in the year 2000. Well, I wasn't all that excited when I rolled for that book on Sunday. The reason for that is that we own probably half a dozen of Paul Prudhomme's cookbooks, and we've eaten a lot of his Cajun recipes. They're delicious. Don't get me wrong, but you know, I've got to watch my uh, my health and. A lot of the recipes that Paul Prudhomme is famous for are pretty high in in a lot of probably not so great for you things like just heavy. It's kind of heavy food and that doesn't always sit well. So I finally sat down, I think it was Monday and started looking at that book and I was so blown away. I, I'm continuously blown away by Chef Paul Prudhomme actually. I wish he was still alive. If he was, I would email him or send him a letter and just tell him how inspirational he is and what, what an impact he's had on our family, especially Big Papa McDoobie. Paul Prudhomme's cooking was the first that he really dove into way back in the day. Ancient history. I think we were in our 20s at the time. And he used to make these amazing meals for our children and me. I mean, our kids were like four and eight and they're eating these five course gourmet dinners and there was a time where I think we served just two things and they're like, hey, where's all the courses? No wonder both of my kids are foodies and they're, my grandchildren are becoming that way too, I bet. So what's so unique about this particular book and why I got more excited about it after I opened it up was that it's not his typical Cajun recipes. It still has his really fun, very human style I hope that it's actually his writing and not ghostwriting, especially the introduction, because I really like his just open, easy, authentic, for lack of a better word, style of, of communicating, where he's just really honest about everything. He's a self-taught cook. He was, I should say. And what's so cool about this book and what makes it different is that he's incorporating or trying to incorporate as many new to him, new at the time, ingredients. Of course, this is 20, oops, my microphone fell over. Oops, that was a rookie mistake. I got so excited about what I was talking about, I knocked over my microphone. Jace, 
So this was 22 years ago, this book. So some of these new ingredients he talked about, like kohlrabi, uh, have now been around for a long time. So it's not new to us. But I like that he, he took that approach to this book. So we're excited to see what we all pick out of that book this week. So we'll be talking about that next time. And I want to go ahead and wrap up this episode because I'm just worried that I'm talking too long. I have more to say, but I want to end it at a time that's respectful of your time. And I will ask that if anyone's willing to leave a review, I would be so grateful. I would just love to know what people are thinking about when they're listening to me and seeing if they're getting any kind of value out of this. After the show, stick around, uh, post-roll. Um, if you want to tune in, uh, keep keep on uh, keep on the program here. I'm going to just do spend a little time talking candidly about uh, behind the scenes at Rolling for Recipes because it's just incredibly interesting to me. And I think that oh, my microphone just fell over. Maybe recording on the bed is not the best idea. <laughs> hey, we do what we can, right? All right, so I'm going to sign off now for the regular episode and say ta-ta for now. Uh, Stick around after the music ends and you'll hear some bonus content. Uh, Just me talking candidly about my experience with creating a podcast from scratch and not knowing what the heck I'm doing. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful rest of your week. Ta-ta for now. Bluebell McDoobie, signing out. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Don't know how many times I'll do this bonus content or after the show content. And I, uh, I just feel compelled to because... This whole experience that I'm having creating this podcast is is interesting. And I feel like, of course, not everyone's going to be interested. But if you're sticking around to listen, you, you might be. So just wanted to share that as of last week when I finally managed to record and upload something and distribute it and sign up for all those platforms, you know, I'm using the free version of my podcasting hosting platform. So it's all very manual. And I spent quite a bit of time going to each individual podcast listening platforms website and registering and connecting. And it's so interesting, the technology behind the scenes, I would never have thought about it back in the day when I first started listening to podcasts. It just didn't occur to me what goes on behind the scenes. I feel very naive about it. But recently, behind the scenes at Rolling for Recipes, I have been working on improving the website. I started a YouTube channel, which is still currently empty. I don't have any content for it yet. I realized that with food, uh, visuals would be very handy. And just to support the podcast, I'd like to get a few videos up on YouTube showing some of the food and a really fun, what is to me one of my favorite parts about the used book collection process and is just discovering actual items in the books. And I'll share that in a video. As soon as I can figure that piece out, 
I, I will admit that the technological piece of editing video is pretty challenging for me. I am a decent photographer, but I have very little experience with video. I've been trying different apps on my phone. When I bought my phone, <laughs> I'm a re more recent iPhone convert. I, re I recently converted from Android to iPhone and I, bought, I got myself the mini version thinking that it would be more convenient to fit in my pockets or whatnot. And now I wish I had the bigger one because it's really hard for me to see. I, I am an older lady and my vision's not great. So editing video on my phone, I'm not sure it's going to work for me. So I'm going to have to spend some time practicing with my DSLR camera, downloading it to my very slow laptop and seeing if I can get it done that way. So don't hold your breath on the YouTube channel. I'm working on it, but I can't say for certain I'll actually get some content. I might upload some of my unedited iPhone videos that I took of myself when I was first trying to record and was super frustrated. So we'll see if that works. When I managed to upload that second piece of audio after my trailer, I felt so much better about all of it. I felt like even though I didn't do much editing and my music isn't quite perfect, uh, I realized the volume's too high in places and I say, um, and a lot, a lot of that, I felt okay about it. I am a novice. I own that. <laughs> I, I realize I'm a rookie and I just am going to keep, keep on doing it the way I'm doing it. And you're going to hear me improve. I hope as I get more and more, as my skills increase, I, I promise you that in my old life, I was a competent person who knew what they were doing. I was managing millions of dollars of commercial real estate very responsibly, very diligently. And this whole podcast experience has thrown me into a new language, a new technology. It's wonderful. I, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And I know that every human being has creativity in them and that needs to get out and would like to get out. And I just want to say that I'm grateful to the current version of myself, if that makes sense. As you know, as you, as you grow and you learn and you age, things change and the way you see the world changes and how you process information changes. And uh, to be completely transparent, I've done a lot of work on myself. And I don't think that I would have had the guts to quit my job. I've never quit a job without starting another one right away. So it was a big leap for me and like it would be for anybody. And I just have to remind myself every day that I'm grateful to me for making it all happen for me. So I, I appreciate all the support I'm getting from friends and family and strangers on the internet. It's it's really not validating, but it's definitely encouraging to know that I might bring a smile to someone's face, make someone's day by listening to what I'm saying. That is ultimately my goal. Bring a smile, inspire, encourage, bring some value and enrichment to other people's lives. What could be better than that? And have, have fun at the same time and get to be creative. I guess that's why I feel like I'm doing what I should be doing. So I am going to get back to all my 
behind the scenes at Rolling for Recipes tasks. And I'm just going to keep trying because what else can I do? What, one of my favorite sayings is just keep swimming, you know, from Finding Nemo. And I also keep on my wall in my bedroom, I, I copied the poster from the show Ted Lasso, or they have the Believe poster up. And it's just such a beautiful thing just to believe and put it out there. It's all going to be good. Feels good. If it feels good, it's probably good, right? So again, I thank you for sticking around. I hope that you've had a good time today. I have actually. I'm smiling. And that's of some value right there. I'm smiling. So I hope you are too. And I'll see you again next Friday on Rolling for Recipes. Ta-ta. 